0: Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 1, through chapter 50, verse 3. Isaiah 49, 1, through chapter 50, verse 3. Uh, I do not have the pew Bible number on that, so if somebody wants to give it to me, or give it to us, I think it's around 771 or so. But Isaiah 49 and into 50. 774, okay, thank you, Liz. 774, if you're using the, the Pew Bible in front of you. So however you have it, the Pew Bible, the bulletin, your own Bible, uh, or uh, on a tablet or device uh, that you uh, have a Bible app on, however it would be, I encourage you just to get God's Word open in front of you. We're going to read uh, chapter 49, chapter 49, and into chapter 50. And as we read this, I encourage you to follow along closely and let us hear from God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. Follow along as I read. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention to peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord. And my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be His servant, to bring Jacob back to Him, and that Israel might be gathered to Him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise princes and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does." Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, the place is too narrow for me, make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren exiled and put away. But who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? Thus says the Lord God. Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples. And they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities, you were sold and your transgressions and for your transgressions, your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask, we come before you now, not just asking even, but appealing, pleading, but doing so with confidence, yearning that You would write the truths of Your Word upon our hearts. Help us to grab hold of Your glory. Help us to be captivated by Your might. Help us to be comforted by Your faithfulness. Help us to be strengthened by Christ, the servant of the Lord. And it is in His name that we pray. Amen. Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. You might operate in life with a mantra similar to that. I won't believe it till I see it. That might be a way that some of us navigate life, but it is a terrible way To navigate the Christian faith. In fact, seeing is believing is a terrible, terrible lie. But don't take my word for it. Adoniram Judson, who is held up by many as a great missionary, was at one time so greatly discouraged by the apparent lack of fruit on the mission field in Burma where he served that he dug his own grave. And pleaded with God to just kill him. The great Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, was so discouraged by responses to his own preaching just a few years after the Reformation caught fire and spread throughout Europe. He was so discouraged by his own by, by the responses to his preaching that in fifteen thirty he just stopped preaching for nine months. Christian, your service to Christ and his church will have moments where you look around and you will say, I am not sure what exactly God is doing here, whether in your own heart, your life, or your church. And though I'm not sure, it sure appears my eyes are telling me that he has moved on. So the question before us today, are we going to wait to see in order to believe, or will we take a better approach and listen and hear and believe? What I want to hold before you this morning, that I believe God's Word is showing us in this passage, is that God is mysteriously, yet certainly, bringing the world to Himself through Christ. Christ. And we are kept by Him. Let me say that again. God is mysteriously, yet certainly, bringing the world to Himself through Christ. And we are kept by Him. We're going to walk through this passage in three acts, three stages. First, we are going to see the mystery of Christ's work. In verses 1 through 6. And then we are going to see the mystery of God the Father's methods in verses 7 to 13. And then finally, we're going to see the mystery of our feeble understanding of God's love for us. Let's first see the mystery of Christ's work. In this overall section of the book of Isaiah, let's say chapters 40 through 55, We find what are referred to as servant songs. We find four of them. These are songs about the servant of the Lord who would accomplish God's grace-filled, people-rescuing, new life-giving work. And so here in Isaiah 49, we reach the second of these four servant songs. But interestingly, this servant song reaches beyond the people of Judah who have been the central figures in this divine drama throughout the book of Isaiah. In fact, you look at verse 1 of chapter 49, God reaches out far beyond the people of Judah who were in captivity in Babylon, and he says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention you peoples from afar. So right here at the outset, we see a, a, a message whereby this audience that is intended to hear this word is far beyond even the people of Judah. Now, I want you to note something about the servant of the Lord in this song who's been set apart by God the Father for this work. Look at verses two and three let's let's play a little um what is the game? Guess who you know where you, does your person have a hat? Does your person wear glasses? Does your person have facial hair? Some of you have certainly played that game before. Let's play a little guess who as we read through these next few verses. As we seek to try to understand who this servant of the Lord is. That it says in verse one called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named my name. Look at verse two. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me you are my servant Israel. In whom I will be glorified. So we have a few clues here as to the identity of this servant. Israel is not just a nation of people, but it's a name given to an individual. This faithful servant, Israel, believes that his work, believes his labors, believes believes that his toil has been wasted. In fact, if you were to read verses 1 through 3, you might say, this sounds like Jesus a little bit. This one who has been called from the womb. The one who's called the servant, Israel, the one through whom God is glorified. But then we say, okay, hold on in this in this divine game of guess who? There's something about verse four that seems off. Look at it. Verse four, the servant of the Lord, after describing how God has called him and set him apart, he then says in verse four, but I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord. And my recompense with my God. Follow along verse 5 and following. Now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be His servant, to bring Jacob back to Him, that Israel might be gathered to Him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. My God has become my strength. He says in verse 6, It is too light a thing that sh- you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation be may reach to the end of the earth. Do you see how God tells His servant here? That He will not simply use him for the sake of the people of Israel. Rather, He says He will make His servant as a light for the nations, that His salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The mission of the servant is far greater than has been initially realized. And we see a hint of this as we go back to verse 1, where he says, okay, I'm, I'm speaking to the coastlands, to the peoples from afar. This reveals something about the servant of the Lord. Who is the one that is the true Israel? Who is the one who is a light to the nations? Who is the one that brings salvation to all who will look upon him? Well, we know it's Jesus Christ himself. Now, there are a number of questions that we could get into. But it seems as if here in Isaiah 49, we strangely walk in upon a conversation that we wonder if, am I supposed to be hearing this? We walk into a divine conversation between God the Father and God the Son. We don't know when it happened. We don't know how it spans across the space-time continuum. We don't know how Isaiah with his human ears is hearing this divine conversation. And yet what we hear here is the pain and the problems of a weary servant who feels his work has been for naught. And that servant is Jesus Christ. This might sound odd to you. When we think of Christ, we don't think of one whose work would be for naught. We don't think of one who would feel as if his life was even wasted. Yet that is some of what we see here borne out in his own heart as he expresses his case before God the Father. How strangely comforting is it to you, dear Christian? The term even there, Christian, it it, it references one who is, in original terminology, original phrasing, it meant like little Christ. Ones who are little Christ following around the big Christ, the central Christ, the only Christ. How strangely comforting is it that Jesus himself wrestled with questions regarding the fruitfulness of his own ministry and life? Consider His work. He taught great truths. He confounded the most learned scholars. He healed the most desperately ill and even dead people. He gave sight to the blind, strength to the lame. He worked miracles like turning water into wine. He fed 5,000 people with only a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And yet the reward that He received from those that He ministered to was what? Betrayal, rejection, abandonment. He who worked all of these miracles left to suffer and die alone on a cross. At his death, his disciples had deserted him. Only a few who loved him were near to him. And the people that he came to call back to God, they were the ones that were crucifying him. Let's establish this right here. If Jesus Christ is the true Israel, the sinless Son of God, and He dealt with confusion and even despair over the work that God was doing through Him and in His life, it's safe to say that you will deal with this as well, dear Christian. Part of the Christian faith is, in spite of what you are seeing, believing. This is where Jesus was faithful and Israel was not. Jesus cast His cares and His concerns before God the Father, yet He was faithful to the end with His task. Israel was captured, captured and brought into exile because of her unfaithfulness and her rejection of God and of her disobedience and distrust in Him. funny. I was recently doing a workout. Well, not recently, relatively recently in the three and a half decades of my life, but not recently, like a few months ago. Uh, I mean, I, I was trying to do a workout and I was trying to, you know, trying to do one of those like workout videos that you do where you're jumping up and down, and you're doing push-ups, you're doing sit-ups, you're doing all these things at rapid pace, and the guy who's leading the workout is like screaming at you the things that you're supposed to be doing, and it was early on in the workout, and so there were things that I didn't quite understand, like, like you know, stretches and moves, I, I didn't quite understand what I was supposed to be doing, I was supposed to reach this way, this way, this way, and I felt like, even though it was on a video, I felt like he was just screaming at me and wouldn't stop, so I stopped the workout, so that's enough of you, buddy. I'm going to go do my workout elsewhere. The interesting thing was, I think part of the reason that I stopped that workout was because it was hurting. It wasn't hurting me like emotionally, like the guy yelling at me, but it was hurting like physically. I felt like I was expending too much effort, too much energy. I felt like it was taking too much of a physical toll. So I turned it off and said, all right, I'm going to find another way to stay in shape. Where I actually know what I'm doing. Sometimes the Christian life feels like that. We see our Lord who suffered through a a, a ministry where, yes, he had great Uh, He saw the great hand and great power of God at work in his ministry, but he also saw the, the great power and work of God at work in him in ways that he did not ask for, ultimately culminating with his death. So as believers, ones following after this Lord, ought we not to expect the workout of the Christian faith to be in some ways? Though we may not physically die for the faith, Our hearts ought to feel the same weight of the faith as our Lord and as those who would follow after our our Christ. So before we turn it off and before we check out or before we say, oh, I'll let him do all the heavy lifting in one sense, Christ has done the heavy lifting in regards to the redeeming of our souls. But in another sense, the same Lord who called us or who went to the cross himself, he calls us to do what? Take up our cross and follow him. So before we check out because following him is strangely difficult or asking too much, let us be careful that we aren't checking out from understanding what it means to actually follow him. And so we see the mystery of Christ's work in verses 1 through 6. But then we move on and we see the mystery of the Father's methods in verses 7 to 13. And remember, we're tracing this line of the strange but certain work of God through Christ and how we can, we, can, we can grab hold of it as it flows through the arc of history. And we can know that we are safe and secure in this Christ and in the work of the Father through Him. So verses 7-13, to 13, the mystery of the Father's methods. So we move now, we begin to transition from the heart of Christ, the servant of the Lord, To the hand of God the Father and His work in the pages of history. Look at verse 8. Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. To establish the land. To apportion the desolate heritages. This language of a covenant helps to reveal the seriousness of God's resolve to work on behalf of and towards his people, God does not patch it together as it goes in in His work in the world or His work in your life. You may feel as if your life is just a constant uh, at the constant mercy of a magic eight ball, whereas if you wake up day by day and it's like, okay, God has this magic eight ball in, in the sky and He just shakes it and it's today going to be a good day for you. Uh, doesn't look so hot. Okay, let's do it the next day. Today is going to be a good day. It's going to be all right. That may be what you feel as if your life is like as a follower of Christ, where particularly it just seems to not have much rhyme or reason. Or there are parts of growth, parts of obedience in the faith that don't seem to make sense. In fact, seem to be counterproductive to your understanding of what it means to grow as a healthy individual and grow in understanding your role in the world. But may I assure you that these verses we're about to walk through show us that God is not patching this together as he goes. God is not getting us through this on a wing and a prayer. In fact, our lives that seem to be patched together are entirely secure in God who holds all things together and enacts all of his good purposes in accord with his perfect wisdom that stretches all the way from eternity past. In fact, look at verse 8, as we just read. He describes Christ as what? A covenant. A covenant. God is a God who makes covenants with His people. God is a God, a covenant is a promise, a commitment. A resounding resolve that cannot be broken. The history of God and His people, the history of God and His Israel is one where Israel continually broke the covenant with God and God continually re-established covenant with His people. And ultimately, He established a final new covenant for all who would come to Him through Jesus Christ. Do you remember last week as we took the Lord's Supper together? We did this in order that the covenant of God in Christ towards us, a covenant grounded in the love of God through the blood of Christ, might stir our hearts yet again and trust in Him. Why do we need to do this regularly? Why do we need to sit under the preaching of God's Word regularly? Why do we need to gather for worship week by week and week by week and week by week? 52 weeks a year for many years of our lives. Why is it so essential that we do this? It is because the rest of the week for you, for me, for all of us in this fallen sinful world our eyes deceive us our ears hear the message and oftentimes the gospel that we profess to believe goes in one ear and throughout the week it gradually starts to empty out the other ear and so we need to hear it again and again and again It was Martin Luther that was asked by somebody, why do you continue to preach the gospel week by week by week? Except, of course, for the nine months where he stopped in his discouragement. Why do you continue to preach the gospel week by week by week? And he said, I preach the gospel week by week by week because my people forget the gospel week by week by week. That's us. That's me. We regularly need to be reminded of the depth of God's love for us. Of the resolve of God's commitment to us. Of the preciousness of Christ's presence with us. Of the surety of the Spirit indwelling in us. So as we were reminded of the covenant, as we referenced in the Lord's Supper just last week, and that we do monthly, we take and eat and know that Christ, this new covenant, He is our sustenance and our life. Is he your life? If you're familiar with Christianity, you would say, "I don't, I don't, I, I, I consider this, and I don't know this Christ in this way. I don't know this covenant of, that God has made. This this means by which God wants to have relationship with me. This means by which God wants to show and 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 and, and blanket me with His love. How does He do this? This isn't just some." Just some feeling that I feel on good days, but it's actually something that is a present reality in my life. I invite you to come to Christ. I invite you to come to this one who loved you so much that he came on a mission. That at times left him in a position of such despair that he thought it was worthless. And yet it was God the Father who said his work was not for naught. But was, though mysterious, it is certain. Would you come to Christ if you do not know Him? Come to Him in faith, repenting of your sin, and committing your life to Him. This covenant that is grounded in Christ, dear Christians, dear brothers and sisters, dear church family, it reminds us that just as our past is secure, our present and our future are also secure. Reading on in verses 9 through 12, it says, he says, he'll say to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways and on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar. And behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Look at verse 10. Neither hunger nor thirst, nor scorching wind, nor sun shall strike them. This is referencing like oppression, hardship, persecution that would come upon the people of God. None of these could stop the work of God in his people. And his purposes for the glory of his name and the good of his people to the ends of the earth will be worked out as verse 12 says. In fact, God does not say, I will do this if only you will hold up your end of the bargain. I will do this if only you will accomplish and do your job. No, God ties the success of the spread of the gospel to the power of his name. That is our hope as a church. And dear Christian, that is your hope as a believer in Christ. God ties the hope of your success. And when we talk about success, let's be very clear what we mean by this. We mean you're reaching the end of the race still clinging to Christ. This does not mean you reach the end of your race with all of your dreams fulfilled, with all of your plans for your life accomplished, with all that you would hold out as the desires and the wishes of your soul, finding their fulfillment and completion. It actually means as you reach the, the end of your life, as life progresses on, year by year by year, and goals and desires and wishes lie in the background, unmet, and having to be left for another day, and if you're honest, having to be left for another life. Success of the believers finding in that the richness and the fullness of Christ who is your Lord. Because for the Christian, get this, the deepest, deepest longings and dreams and desires of your heart will find their perfect and complete fulfillment when you are in the presence of Christ. All that feels unfulfilled, imperfect, incomplete in this life will be washed away by the sublime grace and experience of the presence of Christ that will wash over us for eternity. I've been praying and thinking regarding my own evangelism and and my own belief in the power of the Gospel. And I've been struck by how sometimes my, our lack of evangelism, our lack of sharing the Gospel with others it's not just born of fear of what to say or even fear of man like oh i think they're going to look upon me poorly they're going to roll my eyes their eyes they're going to it'd be really painful if they roll my eyes they're going to they're going to they're going to they're going to think i'm backwards i'm 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 of a previous age and we're more enlightened now but i think sometimes that that's the easy way that we justify our lack of sharing the gospel with others What I found, what I was convicted of as I read through and I worked through this passage this week, is that far greater, in my heart at least, than a fear of man, when it comes to why I don't share the gospel with others, is a distrust in God. I don't believe that God can really bring life to the spiritually dead. Far too often I don't believe that. Or I believe that if I share with others that, and I get a salty reaction that somehow God will abandon me in that moment. And yet the power of the Gospel for the Christian is that Christ who endured that separation, that wrath of God on the cross, He endured that that we might never be separated from him he endured that and is ascended before the father now interceding for us praying for us caring for us as we pursue faithfulness to him you know easter's coming up in just a couple of weeks perhaps a good first step for you would be to invite that person you know who you would like to discuss the things of God with. Invite them to join you for worship on Easter. Invite them to come and hear of this Christ. Invite them to come and hear of this one who can draw near to them in their confusion and their hurt and their pain about life. And to see the God who ties all things together and who invites them into his great, glorious, eternal story. Invite them to come and see this one who calls prisoners out of darkness and into the light. Invite them to come and see this one who takes the the bombed out rubble of their life and builds a temple to the glory of God where their hearts are bound up in his goodness. You know, having just told of what God will do and these mysterious methods whereby he brings prisoners out, whereby he plows down obstructions and mountains and whereby people from all nations, as verse 12 say, come before him and worship. That leaves us with only one option where verse 13, worldwide redemption calls for great celebration. Sing for joy, O heavens, exult, O earth, break forth, O mountains into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people. And we'll have compassion on his afflicted. What a heavenly rejoicing. As we see the mystery of God's hand at work. God the Father's hand at work. As we consider the mystery of Christ's work in our redemption. And it would be great if we could end right there. But then we see, thirdly, the mystery of our feeble understanding of God's love for us right after verse 13 in fact look at just in contrast verse 13 that we just read and then verse 14 but Zion said the Lord has forsaken me my Lord has forgotten me it's like that that game show when somebody gets the answer wrong or it's just a big downer like wah wah like 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 the heavenly choruses are singing. The, angel, the, the stars in the sky are rejoicing in God. And God is showing his people, I have not forgotten you. In fact, there's a greater purpose at work for the glory of my name among all nations. And you are a part of this. And then Zion says, I think you've forgotten us. In fact, I know my Lord has forgotten me. Well, God responds. And shows his people in the remaining verses we have that he is mindful of us, that he is victorious over his enemies, and he is powerful in all things. Look at these. First, look at how he is mindful in verses 15 to 21. Look at just verses 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. You know, one of the great things about, about the Bible, about things like what we're seeing here in Isaiah, but it stretches out all over the Bible, about the Christian faith that I think separates it from the rest of the, from, from other world religions and gives it a validity that others don't is this. The Bible never addresses us where we want to think we are. The Bible addresses us where we are. And God here reaches out to His people, reaches out to you and me in His divine love, and says to you, you might be able to acknowledge My glory over all the world. You might be able to acknowledge My greatness in all things, but I know that you struggle with wondering whether or not I have forgotten you. He says, do you think I can forget? A mother doesn't forget her nursing child. I will not forget you. And He says, come look at the palms of my hands. Are you not engraved on them? The truth of the matter is, and I don't say this lightly, because oftentimes when we charge god with forgetting us or forsaking us we do so not from a place of flippant casual disregard but from a place of deep hurt or confusion or pain about what is happening in our lives the truth of the matter is is that when we feel that it is not because god has forsaken or forgotten us but it is because we have forgotten him we have forgotten depth of his goodness the testimonies of his faithfulness look at what God promises his people as they feel as if they will be they will they will be ignored they will be left out the mighty feast of God will include many people but not the people of Zion look at what God says to them in verse 18 lift up your eyes around and see they all gather they come to you as I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them on as an ornament. You shall bind them as a bride does. Listen to verse 19. Surely your waste, your desolate places, your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants. And those who swallowed, up you, swallowed you up will be far away. You see what God's saying here. You, you feel desolate. You feel empty. You feel uh, uh, worn out. You feel as if your better days are long in the past. And God says, no, I will rebuild the city. As we come out of COVID, as we come out of of just hard seasons, as we think of faces and, and, and loved ones in our church family that have moved away that we miss, as we yearn to see the Lord bring growth to our church family, this is a good prayer. Yes, Lord, we pray, Lord, would you... Would you you build us up? Would you bring us to a place where now we have enough seating, but one day we have to have a problem with where are we going to put everyone? Lord, will you bring us to a place where we can do nothing but look around and say, who has borne these? Who has brought these to faith in yourself? Only you have as a testimony to your faithfulness. Oh, this is a precious prayer that we can voice Dear church, and we must voice regularly as his people. God is mindful over us and he will see us through. And even if even if we, we 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 reach that point only in heaven and only in eternity, we will rejoice in the grace of God filling up that place with those who testify to his glory. So he is mindful of us. Next, we see in verse 22 uh, and following that he is victorious over his enemies. He says, I will lift up my hand to the nations, raise my signals to the people, and they shall bring your sons in their arms. And, and then he goes on and he says how uh, they will bow down to you. They will lick the dust of your feet. You will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. The danger we get in reading this, and the danger even that past Christians have had in interpreting and applying these things, is thinking that this calls us to some kind of warfare. God, some kind of warrior king, and we follow and we enact that war on others who do not know Him. I think this calls us not to war in physical nature, but war in trust in our hearts, knowing that God will prove victorious when it seems as if we are under siege. How easily do we get told That the Christian faith and its beliefs about sexuality, about humanity, about genders, about how God has designed us and created us in His image, how often do we get told that we are bigoted? That we are backwards? How often do we get warned that we better get on the right side of things because right now we're on the wrong side of history how often do you hear this and how often do we wonder am i really that out of step and yet what god says to us at the end of verse 23 is those who wait for me shall not be put to shame his word can be trusted dear brothers and sisters And what we hold up before a world who would like to do nothing more with Christianity or have nothing to do with it or believe that it makes them backwards, what we hold up to this world is a Christ who loves this world that is so void of love and He loves it to the point where He has been crucified for her. And so we hold up a crucified Savior for those who seek healing and yet feel as if their healing can in no way be found in an outdated faith. Well, this would be true if Christ was not victorious over the cross. And if he did not promise. To vindicate those who wait for him. And then lastly, God is powerful. God is powerful. He says here in verse 24 through chapter 50, verse 3, that that he will rescue, that he will make oppressors eat their own flesh, that. At the end of verse 26, all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. He says in verse 1 of chapter 50, he says, do you think I've forgotten you? If you think I've divorced you, I, this God of covenant, show me the certificate of divorce. You cannot find it. I who I can dry up seas, I can dry up rivers, I clothe the heavens with blackness. I I make sackcloth their covering. I am powerful over all things and I will keep you what God is calling us to is to recognizing that seeing is not believing we must hear that we might believe i referenced Adoniram Judson at the beginning of our sermon who dug his own tomb, dug his own grave in Burma, pleaded with God to kill him. God did not kill him. God eventually brought him to a ministry where he saw people come to faith who previously had no knowledge of Christ. Interesting side note, if you were to look through the history of this church, First Baptist Church of Situate, you would find that Adoniram Judson Sr., was once the pastor of this church. Adoniram Judson, Jr. was the one that was the missionary. This church in our history is a testimony to God's faithfulness, to see His people through. But greater even than this, we find as we consider Adoniram Judson, as we consider Martin Luther who gave up preaching for nine months, and then we have before us, as we saw at the outset of our sermon, Jesus Christ Himself who wondered if His work was for naught and God said to him Israel may have rejected you but the nations will come to you through your work and in that God shows this direction this 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 trajectory by which he is marching all things where he is mysteriously yet certainly bringing the world to himself through Christ and brothers and sisters we are not forgotten in that We are kept by Him. He is powerful. He is mindful of us. And He is victorious. Don't take my word for it. Look to the Christ who was crucified. And look to the tomb that is now empty. And rejoice in the God who works in mysterious ways yet with certain promises for the good of his people. Let's pray. God, as we consider these things, we ask that you would help us to grab hold of you when all around us tells us that you are worth letting go of. When our hearts want to let go, When our eyes deceive us, when our world drowns out the word of your faithfulness and your goodness, may you keep hold of us and give us the strength to trust you, to serve you, and to even make this Christ known, this Christ who is the light to the nations this Christ who is with his people, and this Christ who is victorious, now over death and over all nations, as they will flow to him in praise to the glory of his great name. Amen.